0: Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4. I want to read one verse of scripture, verse 11. This is the verse that talks about the five gifts of ministers given to the church. Tonight I want to talk about the word pastors. Ephesians 4. Verse 11, and he, being Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors, and some teachers. Now, of course, the previous verses are talking about our Lord and Savior, and these are referring to Psalm 68. It talks about him descending and ascending. Verse 7 of Ephesians 4 speaks to us about the grace of God that provides the gift of Christ to people. And we certainly understand that of the ministries in the body of Christ, verse 11 deals with some significant ones. All of these are typified in the ministry of Jesus. He's the apostle and high priest of our profession. Jesus said he needed to go through what he went through in Jerusalem, because it's not shouldn't be so that a prophet dies outside of that city. He said, "A prophet isn't without honor, except in his own country." We know that he was an evangelist because he said, "I have not been sent to anyone but the lost sheep of the house." of Israel. He was a teacher. Nicodemus came to him and called him a teacher and said, nobody can do the things that you do except God is with you. And we definitely know he was a pastor because he said, I am the good shepherd. All five of these ministries are Represented then in the ministry of Jesus Christ. And since no one can give what they do not possess, he possesses all five ministries and he can dispense them any way that he wants. He can equip, he can appoint, and sometimes he appoints people to positions that they grow in. May not necessarily be equipped when they are called. However, with the calling comes the grace to do what they've been called by God to do. Now, what do we know about pastors? We know the word is synonymous with the word shepherd. And of course, the first time in the Bible that we run into a shepherd, we run into Abel. The Bible says he's a keeper, feeder of the sheep. A pastor can't be a pastor without sheep any more than a man can be a husband without a wife. So it's necessary then for the Lord to work in a group of people in order to produce sheep that will follow. And a pastor is someone that has a heart that comes after God for the sheep. When Jesus said, I know my sheep, he's talking about a relationship with the sheep. He's talking about a connection with them. When he says, they know my voice, that obviously lets you know that there is a connection between Jesus and those sheep? Well, of course, if a person is going to pastor, then they should be called to do it. I've met plenty of people who weren't called to pastor, but yet they did it in the sense that I have said, what led you to take that church and pastor? They said, well, I was looking for a, a second a career after I retired from my first one. And I kind of wanted to ease on into retirement with a low stress job. I thought, well, pastoring probably wouldn't be the one that you want to try to do. Because number one, there's a difference between someone called to be a pastor and then the hireling. The hireling takes off when the wolf appears. The hireling leaves when the lion appears. But David stands up and he fights and he's ready to stand guard over those sheep. So there's a difference there, you know. And then then also, the average person doesn't want to live the kind of life that pastors have historically had to live. In the Old Testament, the Lord said regarding the Levites that they were not to be involved with going to war. Their ministry was the tabernacle. And that tabernacle was centrally located within the camps. Once the temple was built then their ministry was restricted to that tabernacle by jesus time they were alternating and different groups of priests were working in the temple when joshua went into the promised land the levites received no property they had a place to dwell within the tribes and this is why early on with the pastorate of many denominations you found that pastors didn't have homes. They had parsonages that they lived in and they spent their life preaching the gospel going from one parsonage to the next and then came to the end of their life and had nothing. And so things began to change as people became a bit more considerate. But at the same time, the Levites lived of the freewill offerings and tithes of the people, of the Israelites who came to the tabernacle. So this is why I told somebody, if you're looking for a low-stress job, then pastoring isn't it, because everybody doesn't have the temperament, doesn't have the faith, doesn't have the courage to just live with a total dependence on other people's faithfulness. Because you don't know whether or not people in the church are going to be faithful to tithe or not. You don't know if people are going to be faithful to give or not. And there have been plenty of pastors, because of the stress of that, have walked away from the pulpit and taken other jobs and never went back to full-time ministry again. But when a person has been called by God to do something, God gives the grace with the call. So that means people endure and they trust God. And that's the that's the key, because with me as a pastor, I basically have four a specific roles. One has to do with helping the sheep graze, the other has to do with helping the sheep grow, the other has to do with helping sheep reproduce, and then the other has to do with protecting and preserving the sheep. And people oftentimes want to know, you know, pastor, what do you do all day? You don't work at Ranky with us, so what are you doing? all week long. What, what is occupying your time? Well, if, if I'm going to do what the Lord has called me to do, then I'm going to have to busy myself with what God has called me to do. Now, there are a lot of pastors who are bivocational and have had to be bivocational, And I still consider that full time work. I don't know how anybody can work 40 week, 40 hours a week and still turn around, try to pastor people because people in a church, they have conflicting personalities. Some folks are easily offended. People are judgmental. Some people are naive, whatever it works out, trying to gather all of these people and then lead them in one direction together in unity is not the easiest thing to do. However, as a pastor, I realize that I've got to make sure that I keep my face in the book. So in terms of what I do, my days usually start fairly early because I like to get things done before the text messages start coming and before the phone starts ringing. I can sit down and I can put together outlines. I can think them up in my head. Then I can begin to put them down because wherever I'm feeding in the scripture if it's healthy for me, it's going to be healthy for you. And, and wherever I'm going, I'm looking for greener pastures in which to take, take the sheep. I don't usually spend my time just preaching my favorite verses or teaching my favorite verse, verses. But I oftentimes, when I come in here or in the other churches, I'll go and look At the different messages over the past year, two years or three years that I've ministered just so I can make sure I'm taking people through different books of the Bible and through different texts. If it's good for me to read the scriptures and learn the Bible, then it's good for everybody else. And it doesn't make any sense to have a Bible on your shelf. And then when somebody says turn to Chronicles, you turn into Hebrews. Or if somebody says, okay, open up your Bible to the, the first book that's in the Bible and then you turn into Revelation. See, we, we need to learn the scripture and a pastor has to be committed to teaching the book. Not allowing people to be settled on emotions and various experiences, but to have their minds settled on the word of God, which is unchanging. So this is why sometimes I teach verse by verse. And I'll take a book and sometimes spend a long time in a book. I've talked through books before and people have said to me, Pastor, I, it, took, it took you longer to teach it than it took Paul to write it. But I'm going phrase by phrase trying to extract every bit of truth and treasure that I can from a sentence. And I know all the years that I've been here, I've talked through every New Testament book. I know that I've done that. And when it comes to this book, we need to know what it says to be rooted and grounded. So in our travels, I run into all kinds of things. And I think that a lot of this wouldn't go on if the pastor would teach the whole Bible, the full counsel of God, and not just his favorite topics. When Years ago, people were running from church to church and they were talking about, oh, my goodness, there's gold dust appearing in the air in the services. And I, I can just see it and there's glimmerings and all-, all of this. The only thing I thought to myself, if you think there's gold appearing in that sanctuary, gather it up and take it to somebody who can study it and tell you what kind of chemical substance that might be. That in that whole thing. When when uh, years ago, there was a lady running around who was having revival services and people just thought she was the rave. And uh, they're talking about feathers and all of this stuff dropping out of, you know, from heaven, appearing all over the floor and things like that. Well, Lester Sumrall had told Willie George down there in Tulsa, said, well, if you really want to know whether or not it's true, said, take your camera crew down there and watch said, so you can fool people with that natural but You're never going to move fast enough to fool that camera. And Willie George had his camera crew in one of those services, and they saw where that lady was going behind the piano or behind the pew, and then she'd shake her sleeve a little bit, then a feather would fall out. And people were running around thinking this whole thing was of God, and it was utter deception. But here's the thing. If we get rooted on the word, we won't fall for that kind of stuff. To know what the book says, to understand How God ministers and how God operates. So I spend time looking into the book because I want God to minister to you. I've never been opposed to any kind of signs and wonders. People know that. I've never been opposed to tongues and interpretation, prophecy. God uses us that way sometimes. Never been opposed to God speaking to people in dreams and a vision. Wouldn't, be, wouldn't make a difference for me to be opposed to it at all. He still do it anyway. But the point of the matter is the scriptures are the primary way in which you're going to grow with God. So there has to be that kind of grazing. So I'm looking for those pastures we hadn't been in. And as God reveals that to me. Then I say, Lord, help me to dig around in there so we can find something. Well, along with grazing, of course, there's growing. So there has to be growth in grace and in knowledge. It's not enough to communicate information. So I'm praying and saying, Lord, help me to cause brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so to grow in God. If we grow according to the scripture and we grow in our knowledge, then remember our faith is no greater or smaller than the knowledge of God that we possess. You have great faith it's because you have a large amount of knowledge of God. You have little faith because you probably don't know that much about God and what you know you don't believe. But in the scripture, our faith is measurable by what we know. And the reason these stories are given to us is so that they would be recited and told and heard. And the Bible says faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. As the word of God is communicated, faith grows in a person's heart. When God is talking to you individually, even if he's not quoting a scripture, but just speaking to your heart, laying on the bed. If you're not listening to him, he'll keep talking. If you're doubting his voice, he'll keep speaking. And the more he speaks, the more you begin to believe. And as you have faith, you'll have that assurance. That's why you hear people say things like I never was felt like I was called to the ministry. I didn't want to go into the ministry, but I just kept hearing God dealing with me and talking to me. Then eventually they relented. Why did they relent? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You can run from God, but where can you run? You can't escape his presence. David said if you had wings and you could fly through the clouds, you can't get away from. them. They can bury you and put you in earth. You still won't get away. Away from them. If you could swim into the depths of the oceans and the seas, you still couldn't escape them. So, growing in God is important. Now, naturally, if we take the uh, the position that growth is simply in numbers, then that's important too, because that goes into reproducing. You ever notice that with any kind of herd or flock? You don't have to teach the male sheep or the rams how to reproduce. It's a matter of healthiness. It's a matter of instinct. If you are a Christian, you should want to tell people about Jesus Christ. It should never be the desire of anybody in a church to say, I just want to keep the church going long enough for me to die. That's not the plan of God. How can I reproduce Christ in me? How can Christ be reproduced in me? Or as people say, if if our church could grow, if we could just get more young people with babies. Well, that's not the reproduction the Lord is talking about. Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. All of us should be witnesses for the king with a desire to tell people about Jesus. You'll never know who that person is that will come to know Christ when you take the time to witness. So my 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 role as a pastor, I've always thought is teach the word, minister the word, help people to see what can happen. Because churches are volunteer institutions for the most part. Every church is different. The administration of all the churches that I pastor are different because the numbers are different. Everything is different. The people are different. I pastor some people that say things like this when it comes to children ministry. I did my time working with the children. You know, they say it like like they were in jail. You know, just, I mean, you know that's how I, You know, they, they they don't want to deal with everybody else's kids because they had they dealt with their own at home. So that that becomes the attitude. Well, in a local church, you can you can have as many ministries as people in the church want to do. Yeah. Or you can have none. If nobody wants to do them, you can have a children's ministry if somebody wants to do it. You can have a ministry for teenagers if you have somebody who takes the time and has the heart to do it. What you don't want is to put somebody in a position that don't want to do it. Because you put them in charge of a bunch of people's kids and they don't have the heart to do it. They'll act like they don't have the heart to do it. The people coming will realize they don't have a heart to do it. Then the kids coming won't have a heart to come. And they'll communicate that to their families. So a, a pastor has to be delicate when looking at all of these things. I've got a couple in one of the other churches, 75 years of age. And every time we have new believers that get saved, they do a new believers class with them, call them up. The wife bakes a, a, a loaf of bread, takes it to every visitor in the church. But i got other 75 year olds. If you said something like that, they say, oh, my goodness, you know, I don't have that kind of time. It has to be on somebody's heart. And when people are thinking about reproduction in the church, you can't reproduce if people won't put their seed in someone else. So this is why Christ, the word which is the seed, has to be deposited in hearts. And when it is placed there, then wonderful things begin to take place. And things come to fruition. There's no other way for for it to happen. When we came here, my wife and I started here with my wife and I, John's mom and Mr. Hobelman. Four of us. And we were in that little tiny building just adjacent right over there. That's where we began. And so uh, pretty soon we had a few more people coming Then we were knocking on doors in in town. Then I was going around town introducing myself to business people, school people, and other people. Why were you doing that? Because if I didn't let them know I was here, they wouldn't know we were here. And since I was the face of the church as the pastor, I had to do everything I could to get around some of these people. So fortunately, at that time, the people leading the school took a great liking to me. So there were a lot of times I was in the elementary school from the little ones all the way up to the high school. Several times speaking at graduations here, speaking at graduations in Dessler. And we just started trusting God. We started in this church. There was no finances. Money. Oh, my goodness. What was that? I think when we first got going here, we we were I had a deal. I talked with the Lord about this and and told the man that owns all of this. I said, look, you give it to us for this for rent for so many months. And then after six months, we'll pay this. Then after nine months or whatever, and then he said, no, I don't want that. Here's the money I want up front. Well, I said, well, this is what I'd like to do if you let us start off that way. Well, God got to dealing with his heart. He couldn't sleep, so he came back to me and got with our deal. And then God just started multiplying. I mean, the first 10, first 11, maybe 12 years we were here, I think that we were getting maybe $500 a month just telling folks about the king. You said, how are you surviving? Well, we had the church in Red Cloud that was helping us. But when we first started that church, we were we weren't even getting a salary then. And then when we started getting money, then it was about one hundred twenty five dollars a week. And all of those folks were saying, well, how in the world are you able to stay out there? Pastor Darrell never stopped his traveling ministry. I kept going to hold revivals and preach across the nation. That's what God did, and God supplemented my income. Then things got to where they were, where they needed to be, and then people got together and said, Pastor, we want to make sure we take care of you in the right way. And they did. So they made sure Pastor and his wife had insurance. Then they made sure Pastor it was taken care of financially in that regard. Here's my point. All the years that I've been out here, do you know how many pastors I've seen come and go? It's been a lot of. And why do they come and go? Well, they run into some matriarch in the church, some patriarch in the church that they disagree with. There's not enough money. They're looking for promotion, a greater stepping stone. But here's the difference between me and them. I was here because God called me here and told me to be here. And it doesn't matter what happens, doesn't matter who comes or goes. There have been hundreds of people come through this church in all the years that we've been here. But I've always been in this pulpit preaching Christ, teaching Christ. And it was because of that that God started helping with a lot of the families. There were a lot of people's husbands who had no interest at all in God. But we just start going to the house, spending time with them ministering to them isla's husband was that way she came out here for years norm never went to church never went to any bible study she'll tell you this was the first bible study he ever started attending how did it happen i start going to that house having coffee and talking with him he was a former Air Force guy or Navy guy, and I just minister to him, and pretty soon he's out here. Then pretty soon we had men's breakfast, and we had folks coming out here. But everything is on relationship, you see. And a pastor is going to love people. He's not just going to be in it for the money. He's going to be in it for the long haul because he cares about people. Now, I'm not going to ask you how many pastors have you had in your life that you didn't like, because you might raise your hand right now. But, but I, I want you to understand that, that, that God's plans and God's purposes for you and for me has always been related to connection. And this is why in, in the early years, of course, I, I always made sure I spent time with the families. I mean, up until we started the church down in Kansas, our our routine was fairly simple. Sunday night through Wednesday, we were here. Then Wednesday evening through Sunday afternoon, I was in Red Cloud. And when we started down here, I did the same thing I did in Red Cloud, visited people. And, you know, pastor, he likes to show up right about dinner time. Yeah, that's a good time to show. Come right about supper time. Catch folks at breakfast, you know. That's a good time. People are in a good mood when they're making food. And I would, I would show up just to be able to spend a little bit of time with the families, with the kids. I always wanted the kids to grow up having memories with the pastor holding them, teasing them, rolling around on the floor with them. Because there are a whole lot of pastors don't spend time with their sheep at all. I know a whole lot of pastors don't even visit their sheep, let alone pick up the phone call, phone and call them or text them. Relationship is powerful because you get to connect with them. So that leads to what my other role is, which is to help protect, preserve the sheep. By talking with people privately and individually, you get to find out what people believe. And you get to impart what you believe. And sometimes you can put out fires before they break out. See, And you can you can learn about individuals just by taking the time to fellowship with them. Then sometimes you realize you have a greater connection with them than you really thought. Had a lot more in common than you really thought. All of that because. Somebody takes the time to do it. I was that way with all of my pastors. My pastors never ever had to call me to figure out why I wasn't at church. They knew why I wasn't at church because I always told them if I had to work or if I was traveling. When I was a young minister, a teenager, I was at my pastor's house just about every other weekend. If I wasn't there every weekend, I was sitting at the table with him and his kids just like I was one of the kids because everywhere I went, I was always the youngest minister. I was the baby and I enjoyed being around the, the older people. It was, it was important to me. My pastor went to preach somewhere and I was able to go. I tried to go, did whatever I could just to be around him. Well, as a, as a pastor, he taught me how to love people, how to love the sheep, how to minister to the sheep. Because if you don't establish relationships and have a connection with them, then it's impossible to hold on to them. And in doing so, Sometimes when you're establishing new connections, sometimes older relations, the time you spend have to be sacrificed because you're trying to establish new connections. But it doesn't hinder the old relationship because those bridges are strong and firm. The Bible says a friend loves at all times. And he that has a friend has one that sticks closer than a brother. And some of my pastors have gone on to heaven But some of the older ones that I had that's still around, if I were to contact them, I guarantee you they'd be so happy to hear from me. So pastors there to protect, to preserve, to to look after uh, uh, the people that are there. And when he sees people being cut off from the flock to ask a question, we hadn't seen you in church. Where have you been? We've missed you. Uh, what's going on? That that question isn't asked because somebody's trying to offend somebody or, or trying to mock somebody. That is to let somebody know we miss you. Pastor, what do you do all day long since you don't have a job, you're not burying the dead like me? What do you do? Well, I'm catching phone calls. And people will call me who don't even attend this church or the other churches. I'll come here sometimes and on that answer machine, there'll be 15 messages. And some of them will be from people from other churches who don't even attend here. Pastor, we've heard about you. Do you have time to meet with my son or my daughter? Could you come up here to the school privately and meet with these people? We can't let anybody know that you're doing this because you're a pastor. But do you have time? I say, I have time. Then I'll go. What are you doing? Pastor, what are you doing with with all of your time? I mean, you're 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 around the house. Are you in the lazy board chair? You're not coaching the basketball team. Pastor, what are you doing? Well, sometimes people are in the hospital and they're not here locally. They're in Omaha. Sometimes they're in Lincoln, sometimes they're in Kearney or they're in Grand Island and we jump in a car. We're headed there as fast as we can. It takes us two hours, two and a half hours sometime to get to somebody just to walk in, lay hands on them and pray. Spend 20 minutes with them, then get back in the car and drive two and a half hours away to try to get back for Bible study somewhere. Pastor, what did you do today? Oh, it was just a regular day. See? Yeah. After midnight, phone calls. Pastor my, my son's in jail. You have time to go? Well at two o'clock in the morning you woke me up. I've got time to go. I can always come back and get back in bed if I need to. Yeah, I can I can go head over there, spend time with a sheriff, spend time with somebody that's having a difficulty. Yeah. These are all the things that have to take place. That radio that people hear week after week and they talk about how much they enjoy. That stuff doesn't play itself. I've got to put together and arrange all of those CDs. I've got to listen to every single one of them, determine where it's going to start, determine where it's going to stop. Mail all of that into Lexington and then say, here is how I want you to play that. Then the people listen. And then after they listen, then they write letters. And some people are including gifts to the church. So there's hardly ever a month that goes by that I don't have a bunch of letters from all around this region coming because they're listening to the Heartland Revival Hour on Sunday morning. So then the the treasurer, and then make sure I've got got the notes, so I've got these letters from people saying nice things about the broadcast, then I've got to then sit down and write a letter to these people. Dear so-and-so, thank you for taking the time to listen to the broadcast I am so happy. It's a blessing to you. Then they typically have a prayer request. Sometimes they'll send a letter that's 3 or 4 pages long with something taking place in their life. Holding the letter in my hand, praying for these people. Father, touch this family. Minister to this one that is sick. See? Pastor, what are you doing all day? You ain't got any kids. You're not homeschooling. What are you doing? Well, we're doing the work of the ministry. We're doing everything we can to make sure that Christ is ministered to and Christ is preached and proclaimed and people can hear the word of God. So that when you're out in the community and you're anywhere and you tell somebody what church you go to and who's your pastor, you don't ever have to hang your head in shame because you don't want anybody to know where you go to church. And there are a lot of people like that. I'll ask somebody, where do you go to church? Well, (laughs) well, if if you're not interested in being excited about where you go, how are you going to excite somebody else? I run into somebody in town and they say, well, where do you pastor? King of Kings, the greatest church in this region. You say, how in the world, isn't that kind of boastful? I don't know what it is. I'm just telling you, I'm excited about the place that I pastor. And I'm excited about the people I get to teach. Pastor, what are you doing all day long? Are you just there clicking the button? I don't see you at the cafeteria cooking with me. What are you doing all day, Pastor? i tell you what, what I'm doing. I'm making sure that when people call, that we meet with them and try to minister to them. And some of the situations that Occur sometimes keep me from visiting some of you when I've had every intention of visiting with you or being here I can tell you plenty of times I've jumped up and we're on my way to Western to visit with the George family couldn't get there because I got a phone call or wanted to head out here to visit one of you or take one of my Wednesday mornings to come visit with you but I get a phone call and it's a definite emergency somebody's marriage is on fire And pastor, if you can't come and talk with us now, I think we're just going to split. I mean, people will say that and I've got to try to get together with people real fast on a Sunday afternoon. Or sometimes on a Friday or Thursday, whatever day it works, because our schedule is like this. Sunday morning in red Cloud, Sunday night, I'm here. Monday night, oftentimes in friend. Tuesday night, back here. Wednesday night in red cloud. Thursday night, not too much going on. And then Friday night service in haze. Then Saturday, hospital visits, visiting with people, meeting with folks for premarital counseling and all of this. Somewhere in the middle of this, we've got to wash some clothes. Tiffany's got a grocery shop. Uh, Milk that was good two weeks ago is now spoiled. (laughs) She's got to clean out the refrigerator. Pastor, what are you doing with your time? Trying to do the work of the ministry. Yeah. And some of the, the things we've had to deal with privately, delicately, isn't easy. Imagine trying to pastor someone whose mother, also, her sister, I've had the pastor, people like that, passed on going to heaven now so you don't have to try to figure out who it is. What that means is you're dealing with somebody who's a product of abuse, and you're dealing with somebody who had absolutely no self-esteem at all, because everywhere he or she went, there was shame, there was guilt, but we teach the word, minister the word, encourage them. Because a local church should be about people that love one another. And our church has always been different than other fellowships. When I first came here, we hadn't been going but maybe a year, maybe less than that. I'm pretty sure it was probably three or four months. But a church was having a block party. So somebody said to me, Pastor, you ought to go down there just to meet some of the people in the block party. And, you know, introduce yourself to people in town. So I did. And uh, met one of the local pastors. There in town, he never remembered it because when I met him he was drunk at the block party. That's a preacher. That's a preacher. I've heard of a whole lot of pastors telling off color jokes, vulgar jokes. You'll never hear that about me. I don't hear that. I don't tell those kind of jokes, those kind of stories. That's not a part of our life. That's not the kind of people that, that we are as far as setting an example. I remember one time after we'd been going for a number of years, somebody wanted me to go to a Bible study. So I went to a Bible study, and here there are four or five guys sitting around there, and all of them are lit up, and they're all smoking weed. And then the Bible study turned into a local church. See? Turned into a church. And I thought to myself, oh, my goodness, what kind of a foundation is this for a house of God? All I'm saying is there's a difference between a pastor and a hireling. Somebody that loves the sheep and their people. The folks that have stood with me all the years that we've been here, that's why we've never left. They could stand with us and be faithful with us. We could stand with them and be faithful with them. And the reason I'm able to do multiple fellowships and stuff is because I've got folks like John. Yeah. And the ones over in Red Cloud and one's now down in haze. It would be impossible to do what I do without other people that could teach the word of God. I've never left here and had to wonder what was being taught while I was gone cuz I knew he would say exactly what I would say if I was here. And we've talked enough, been together enough, been close enough so that he knows exactly what I believe. And I know what he believes. But you don't you don't get that way unless you spend time with folks. So yeah, I'd I just go over there to that Brueggemann house, pull up a chair there in that office, and let John preach to me. And we just kind of hear in fellowship. But folks, this, this church is a blessed church. It's a great fellowship because it's a place where there's no strife, no discord. Nobody's fighting with each other. Nobody comes in, and they look and say, oh, my goodness, I see him again. God thought he was out of town. See none of that. No, I can't wait to see you folks. And it bothers me when I have times when I can't be here. But these things do happen. But God's a good God. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's stand. Uh, John and Angie, if you guys come down here, we're going to lay hands on you and pray. What a (coughs) blessing it is. All these years up here. Tina stood right by us. Been here to teach the Word of God sometimes when I've been here, teach the Word of God sometimes when I'm not here. When Tina used to do the Praise Fest, what a blessing that was for the whole community, but then also for the church. Because people from the church would be involved with stuff that was taking place in the park. And it always blessed and encouraged people. Thank you, Tina. Your witness and evangelism, that woman brought a whole lot of folks in here to the house of God, reproducing because she's got that evangelist heart. Now this beautiful little gal, she's just, she she woke up now, all this teaching got her all woke up. But uh, folks, we love these two. We said this the other evening, but I, I can't remember who invited you out here. I don't know if it was Darren or how that worked out, but uh, John came out here, just kind of got plugged in, and uh, just been nothing but a good relationship. Then, of course, we instantly fell in love with with Angie, and thank God for the union and for what God is doing here is reproduction. And so 10 years from now, eight kids later, (laughs) we know it's just going to be a blessing, because I honestly believe when two people like this love God, they ought to reproduce. And as long as the Lord tarries, godly seed ought to be put in this earth so that the image of Christ will be seen by other people. So I, I'm going to read a, a verse here out of the book of Acts and then we're going to all come down. Here. In fact, we can all come down here now around them so that we can lay hands on them and pray and it says here in Acts chapter 20, where Paul is talking to some of these folks he's not going to see again. He didn't believe. He said, now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. See, that, that's all we can do is commend you to God and